I just feel so sorry for anybody that trusts in anything less. If you trust in money, if you trust in the stock market, it just goes up and down. And if you trust in people, they'll always disappoint you. If you trust in your job, you'll be able to go that way for years and then they'll change the production line or they'll do something a little different and kind of goofs you up. So no matter what we do, no matter what we look at, other than him it all fluctuates that's right but in him in him praise god well it's good to be in the house of the lord tonight let's read song of solomon chapter 2 if you would verse 15 then we'll read uh, saint john 11 verse 25 Take us the foxes, the little foxes that spoil the vines, for our vines have tender grapes. Now remember, this is the bride saying this. So the bride recognizes that her position is delicate. Her position must be protected, must be watched, because foxes will do everything they can to eradicate your position. St. John eleven twenty five. <clears throat> Pick back up with Martha. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. So does that make Lazarus an unbeliever then? Now, according to the way that Jesus said it, if you're going to take him physically, literally, take his words as he said them, then that means Lazarus was not a believer because Lazarus is now dead. But remember, Jesus is speaking from two dimensions, two aspects of life, two aspects of death. You see, those who like to pick God's word, God's left a lot for you to pick. That's what you're wanting to do. But I'm glad we're not pickers. We're believers. Scripture didn't say these signs shall follow the pickers, but these signs shall follow them that believe. That's who we are. 
Notice, and whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? She says unto him, Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ. But that wasn't what he asked her, was it? That wasn't what he asked her. I believe that thou art the Christ. Now, this is a great profession. Good thing to say. Next to Peter's, this is the most powerful one in the New Testament. I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. But that still wasn't what Jesus asked. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word tonight. Thank you for the opportunity we can be gathered together again. Lord Jesus, we count it a privilege, as always, to be gathered in the presence of God, gathered with your children. Lord, still just rejoicing over the service here Wednesday night, your word, just so wonderful. But yet, we've come here tonight, again, we're hungry. We've got different needs in our lives, but we believe that we're coming to a fountain, Lord God, which has everything we will ever need. Your prophet has taught us that you gave us a whole bunch of checks whenever we got saved. Your name is down at the bottom of it. And the account in heaven is full of everything that we'll ever have need of. All we have to do is to be able to cash those checks, take our faith and appropriate it, and you will minister to us according to the riches which have already been deposited. Speak to us tonight. Heal the sick. Encourage those that are down, maybe those that are weary. May the presence of God come by our way tonight. Once again, Lord, in Jesus' name we ask. And the saints said, Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. <clears throat> I'd like to speak to you again tonight, if the Lord would help me, on this little fox of an unsurrendered heart. A little fox of an unsurrendered heart. When we are born into this world, all of us are born lost. Elect, non-elect, seed, non-seed. We're all born lost, born with a fallen heart. And as we get older, we learn how to be more submissive and more surrendered in the kingdom of the lost. Now, even though we're born lost, we still don't understand the depths of being lost. So... Maybe when we're seven, eight, nine, who knows how it was, old it was for you. But you're put into a spot, and if you tell the truth, you're going to get in trouble. Maybe get a spanking. So instead of you admitting to that, you blame it on your mother, your sister, your dog, your stapler, your water gun. You know, we as humans are. We blame it on anything and everything. The devil made me do it. He's always a good one to always blame it on. So the more that we mature and the older we get, actually what we're doing is surrendering more of our heart and more of our will, even though we're lost. Now we're lost, but we still don't know how to lie perfectly. We don't know how to deceive perfectly. So we learn. And well, I'll tell you one thing, some of us become 
pretty good at it. Now, isn't it amazing that we're born lost, but we still don't know how to do all them things really in the depths of what Satan wants us to. So as time goes by, uh, circumstances are formed around our lives. Things will happen. Put us in a spot to where that we have an opportunity to be able to become a better liar than what we were born. And we become a better deceiver than what we were born. Now what is happening is actually we're learning how to surrender more. You know, if you could only understand it tonight, really it's, it's quite simple. The conflict in all the world is about two things. It's about two dominions and two kings. That is God and the devil. Every person on the face of the earth that has ever been and ever will be is in the strait, in the strain between those two dominions and those two powers of becoming submitted to one or the other. And even though we're born lost and actually born attached to a woman, the sign of the navel, meaning that you're a renegade, still you don't know how to submit to it just because you're born into it. Now think of that real good and it'll help you to understand why that when you're born again that you don't automatically know how to submit just because you're born into the kingdom of God either. So it is basically a lifetime of learning and submitting yourself to God. So whenever we come to God, then we are forgiven of our past sin. And the prophet explains it in future home that our past sin is cut off. But yet, you've still got years and years of learning how to grow and submit and being able to learn how to become a surrender, full, encompassed Christian that will allow you to give everything that you are to the Lord Jesus. Now, you're born lost. You don't know how to serve the devil completely. Now you're born again, and you don't know how to serve God completely, so you get into a process of learning. Now, then whenever, now let's look at another state, then we look at a person who is lost, and we look at one who's born again. Now, let's look at one who enters into the state of getting cold or backslidden. Now, a person who backslides, they begin to trade off. They begin to trade off truths that they have heard and truths that they have attained to. Now maybe some truths they're still working on, but many they have attained to if they've been around very long at all. So they hear truths about the gospel, they shouldn't do this, they should do this, they shouldn't do this, they should do that, and as they move into that, they're attaining those truths, and those truths become more than things they've heard, but actually a part of their lives. So they begin to build a relationship with God and then they've learned how to submit to those things that God has been able to move on their heart. I mean, that's what I'm talking about. 
So when a person will backslide, then what they begin to do, they actually begin to let go of these things that they have learned by the grace of God, and they will allow Satan to replace them with other things. Every one of us have a capacity. A natural capacity, a psychological capacity, a mental capacity, a spiritual capacity, and we're only able to retain so much. So you will only be able to retain so much in your mental capacity, in your psychological capacity, in your spiritual capacity. So the war is between being able to get into your hard drive. Being able to get how much ever gig you've got because both God and devil, the devil want access into your mass storage unit of your soul, of your head, of your heart. Both of them want access into you. Now you've only got so much room. So the war, the whole war about all of our life is about that one simple thing of God and the devil trying to access your software and your heart. I mean your hard drive. So now you may have your hard drive, but without software to be able to run that, you're still not complete. Also, you've got to have a touchpad or a keyboard I've related to you so to be able to understand it that way. So there's several components by which you as a complete unit will be able to function either in the realm of light or darkness, and both of these are out after that. Now, as I sat studying yesterday afternoon, and I began to ponder on these things, and I began to think about how that we as believers become encompassed about with the pressing of the darkness and the pressure actually of the light. And the Spirit of God came to where I was as I sat studying. And He began to give me several, several things. And I wrote them down so that I would not forget them. And also, I wanted to be able to share them with you. Now, I want you to listen to these things that the Lord gave me yesterday. That whenever a person will start turning away from the light, they start turning away from what God has done for them in their life. Listen to this. They let go of trust and they get mistrust. Now watch what God did. God helped build trust in them. Trust for Him. Trust for His Word. Trust for the ministry. Trust for, you know, believing there's going to be a rapture on and on and on and on. And, and you cannot be able to trust fully with your whole heart and mistrust at the same time. You cannot trust God with all of your heart. Now we'll get to Martha here shortly. But Martha is actually in this dilemma to where that Martha is this type of person that she believes God and she loves God, but Martha trusts God with all these questions in her mind. And those questions are how and why and how come and I don't understand and how will it work? And she places God on, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. Uh, so she limits God by her own faith by placing if you would have been here. And the first words the Lord Jesus says when he arrives in Bethany is, your brother will rise, St. John 11, verse 23. But with her faith being limited in scope to how she understands and what she comprehends and what she processes in her mind, she doesn't even catch what he says. 
Had she been in tune with his very words, which was a rhema word from God, she would have known Lazarus was fixing to get up. But her confession was in her understanding. So she answers the Lord Jesus when he says, Believest thou this? Well, she didn't believe that exactly. But she answers back what she understood. Oh, my goodness. Many people's faith is based upon what they understand. My faith is not what I understand. My faith is upon the promise and my understanding follows my faith instead of my faith following my understanding. You show me a person whose faith is based on their understanding, I'll show you a dish rag. I'll show you a spiritual person that's up and down and in and out and Satan always has access to right here their mind and they're stumped by this and stumped by that. Why? They're going by their understanding. They put it in the future. They put it in the past. Well, it may happen for so-and-so, but it won't happen for me. I agree. It won't as long as you allow it to be that way. Now, notice what a person does now that has a walk with God, an understanding with God. They're justified. They're sanctified. They might even have gifts in their life. Maybe they can speak in tongues. Who knows what they can do? And as they're building with this relationship with God, and they're surrendering more of the things they were born with, and God is building a trust inside of them. Now, Satan, of course, cannot be able to come and build mistrust right on top of strong trust because one is opposite against the other. Both of them cannot be built in the kingdom of a human heart and both of them have a stability. One must be weak and the other must be strong. So a person cannot trust God with all of their heart and then turn around and ride around and say well I mistrust God. No it's either one or the other. Which one do you do? So real trust when it's there in the heart and the person even when they go through things that they don't understand they come back to trusting him not understanding trust will keep you when understanding lets you down for we walk not by sight but by faith and sight is connected with understanding so then when a person begins to lose part of their stability in God they will actually let go of trust and get what back in its place mistrust notice again another one they let go of faith and get unbelief why because you cannot believe in God with a fully committed heart you cannot believe in God that way and disbelieve in God God from the same heart. Now as far as your humanity, Satan will always put doubts and questions and so on there. But as long as faith is the control man in the soul, in the heart, faith has hair on its chest as the prophet said, and he'll tell your intellect, your ability to shut up and go sit down in the corner. But when you allow your intellect to be the master, then it is the boss and it tells faith to go over and sit down and shut up. And faith gets weaker and weaker as, as this distrust and this unbelief gets bigger and bigger. You say, can a person actually, Brother Donnie, could they actually lose such faith with God to where they begin to wonder if there was a God? Absolutely. How does faith come? Faith come by one revelation after another, trusting after God, after experience, after experience. So what reverses that? Something that begins to paralyze that believer's faith. That's what happened to Lot. Lot's faith become paralyzed by glamour, by the 
the things of the world around him and his face becomes so paralyzed he can move right down and live in Sodom and become the mayor of the city and Abraham had to intercede and even save the man. Right. What happened? Because Lot began trade-offs. Now it started with, of course, we know with them, it was a great controversy between the herdsmen on who had the right to feed. You know, can these feed or can these feed? Well, you can't preach. And we got to do this and other. You know, so it was a big argument in the message about who had the right to feed the sheep. But you know what? Lot already had begun to compromise and begin to feel something wayward in his heart. Now instead of consulting the prophet of God of the age of what he should do, Abraham gives him a choice. And whatever the carnal man always offered the choice, he'll always go toward the world. That's just constant. It's going to be that way. So he begins to compromise. And when he does this, he's losing things. So he's letting go of virtue. He's letting go little by little. And as he does this, these things are going to trickle down now not only to himself and to his wife but to his children watch this they let go of faith and get unbelief they let go of humility and get arrogance now what's one thing after another after another that will happen to a surrendered heart now we're all born proud we're born arrogant we're born stubborn we're born hard-headed we're born full of the devil as a matter of fact, the next of kin to you, your Redeemer, was the devil. It wasn't Jesus, as far as your body is concerned. Come on, saints, say amen. I know y'all don't like it because you love yourself so much, but one of these days you're going to realize the serpent's seed ain't dead. Comb its hair. You brush its teeth when you come to church tonight. You comb its hair or either rub your head, whatever you do. But you know what? That's where it's at. That's why you battle that old thing because it's mixed up after Genesis 6. The, the devil did not need to get another Eve. The seed line's mixed up and Genesis 6 comes out on the ark on the other side and this is why you've got all that rottenness left in you tonight and so do I and little by little as we surrender our heart our minds our wills everything to that God takes all that arrogance and pride and selfishness of the world and God replaces that with humility and love and, but as simply as it was replaced it can also be dislocated and lost and a person can again gain the arrogance that they had but what will happen to a backslider is always in the cycle of reproduction and explosion in that they will become worse than they were before. That's what Jesus said. When the unclean spirit goes out of a man, he seek rest and find none. And whenever he goes back to the house and said, hey, the house I come out of, it's been swept and garnished, justified, sanctified, but it's empty. So there's nothing there. So he goes in, takes seven spirits worse than himself, and they become worse than they were. We all going to preach to me now to look at me. So then people will let go of humility and get arrogance back in its place. Why, what is it? What's going on? It is a trading. It is a trading by the submission of the will. So the will is letting go of faith. The will is letting go of belief. The will is letting go of, of submission and humility and consecration and sanctification. And you're not going to let go of it and remain empty. Keep this in mind. Any good thing God gives you that you let go of, the devil is standing right there to give you something evil back in its place. You let go of love, you let go of forgiveness, you're going to get bitterness, you're going to get hate, you're going to get all kinds of things in its place. Oh my. 
They let go of morality and get what? Immorality. Look at folks who backslide. Look at those who turn away from this message. Have they become more holy? Have they become more pure? Have they become more full of the love of God? Now they're reading their Bible more than ever before. Apparently they're not reading the same Bible I'm reading. My, they become meaner than the devil himself and cursing many of them and drinking and carrying on the office devil was and claim now they're free Christians. They're not under the bondage of this message. I personally don't want that kind of freedom myself. Any freedom that'll let me live like the devil is not freedom. No, it's a bondage under the disguise of the enemy. So what do they do? Then they let go of morality and standards of, you know, we can't go here and we can't do this and do that and the other. I realize it's monotonous and boring to some, but it is something that must be preached and we must live by. If not, then we will let it go and what will we trade it for? Immorality. They let go of sanctification and what they do, they get uncleanness. So then a person that is sanctified, set apart. You know, the women don't uh, bob their hair and they don't uh, wear pants and the men don't go around with gold all over their, all over their necks and their earrings and their nose pierced and the men, the men don't wear skirts around here. Neither naturally or spiritually. Well, praise the Lord. Our men don't wear hose, or they better not. I'll give them a good whooping if I hear about it, at least from the pulpit. That's right, that's right. But what do they do when people give up that then? They give up the standard of God, and they will lay aside sanctification, and they accept what back in his place? Uncleanness. So they start doing things they wouldn't have done before. Why didn't they do it before? Because the heart was surrendered to the power of sanctification. Sanctification is more than just a natural thing. It's also a spiritual thing that begins within you spiritually. But you cannot have both. You cannot be sanctified and have uncleanness in you at the same time so it is the war of which one you will choose now God will not stand there and make you do it you're a free moral agent you can choose whichever one you want and both of them are an onslaught against us every day of our life and the church said they let go of the love for the truth and become a liar You cannot love the truth and be a bald-faced liar. Oh, you might say you love it from here, but that's as far as it goes. It's a long distance from here and here. It don't look that far, but it's a long way. It takes a miracle to get it from here down to here. So what happens in a person surrenders the will to God and maybe they, you know, when they're out there in the world, they lied and they deceived and they had a deceitful manner and all that about them and God sanctified them and put the spirit of truth in them and the love of truth, not just truth, but the love of truth and all of a sudden the truth becomes such a value to them. But as they begin to get indifferent and they begin to, well, you know, does it really matter or not? A little white lie. I'd love for somebody to show me that in the Bible. I'd like for somebody to show me that in the message where there's such a thing as a white lie. A lie is a lie. Whether it's that long, that long, or that long, it's a lie. 
That's right. But yet you cannot lie and tell the truth at the same time from your heart if you're truly sanctified. And if you do tell something that is really questionable, that something will strike your heart and go back. You know what? I, I, I'm sorry. I, I, I might not have represented that right. I might, I might have misquoted that. How many has ever done it? Where you've been there and done it? But you see a person who does this, them things don't even bother them no more. Because they've so traded off the value of truth, they don't care nothing about lying. They don't care nothing about truth or lie. And before long, it all runs together and it becomes so muddled in their mind, they're not even sure what truth is anymore. They're not even sure what lies are anymore. They're not sure what's true, what's false, what's white, what's black, what's gray. They don't even know. You talking about a horrible state for a person to be into. Where does it all come from? An unsurrendered heart in the presence of God. Well, a heart that was surrendered that knew the value and the consequence of truth. And then when they forfeit that understanding of what truth is, what are they going to do? They're going to remain void and empty of that spot in their life? Oh, no. Satan will fill that void and they won't just start accepting a lie, but they will become what they are accepting, a liar. A liar. Well, praise the Lord. I won't ask how many of you are liars. I'll tell you, I'm some of the worst liars I ever into in my life's message, folks. They'll tell the office lies on you ever was. You know why they do it? They ain't filled with the Holy Ghost. You get filled with the Holy Ghost, it'll take care of that line. Well, preach, Brother Donnie. So they let go of the love for truth and become a liar. They let go of submission and get rebellion. Now look at these opposites. I was overwhelmed when the Lord started showing me these contrasts. I thought, my goodness, how wonderful and how illuminating it is to see what happens to people's lives. Now look at the reverse of this. This is what happened to us when we got saved. We let go of rebellion and become submissive. Whenever we got saved, we let go of lies and become a truth teller. So what happens when we backslide? We just revert back to what we want except doing more of it than we did before we ever got saved. So what's the whole thing about? Don't you see what's going on in the world? They're doing the exact opposite of what I'm preaching to you about a surrendered life. They're surrendering every weekend. Some of them have waited all week for Saturday night. They've waited all week long. They're going to surrender their mind. They're going to surrender their body. They're going to stop popping the tops here after a while. They probably done started by now, 8 o'clock. They've already got their cigarettes out and their dope and their needles and whatever more. They've waited all week long. What are they going to do? They're going to present their body a sacrifice to the devil. The exact opposite of Romans 12.1 I beseech you therefore brethren by the mercies of God that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice holy and acceptable unto the Lord which is your reasonable service. What's the world going to do tonight? They're going to present their bodies a living sacrifice Sacrifice to the devil. They'll present their mind. They'll present their money. 
prostitutes will sell their body, both male and female. Come on, children. What are they doing? It's the exact thing except opposite of what you're hearing preached. The Holy Ghost is telling us, give our will, give our mind, give our nature. And the devil's telling them, give me your body, give me your mind, give me your nature. These are exact opposites. Notice then someone who backslides, gets away from God. They let go of submission. Well, that spot's not going to stay empty in their life. What are they going to get back in the place of it? Rebellion. So they'll become stubborn, hard-headed. You can't tell them nothing. Praise the Lord. They let go of credibility and become deceptive. Thank you, Jesus, for the truth. Lord have mercy, if I didn't know better, I'd think a big portion of this congregation was guilty of all this stuff. Y'all ain't saying, oh me, amen, ouch, God help me, God help Brother Donnie, God get us out of here. Y'all ain't saying nothing, you're just sitting there with a deer in the headlight look. Now, as the will is surrendered to God, then, you know, a person that's a real child of God, they know their testimony has so much value. And the credibility of a Christian, look, friend, we come to this world naked and we will leave the same way. What are we going to take with us? Our character. We won't take our cars. Uh, Do you ever walk up and see anybody laying there in a casket and a carton of Winston's in there with them? You ever see anybody laying in a casket and a fifth of Jack Daniels? What about a marijuana deal? Or what about uh, a big wallet full of money? Now everybody in the funeral will take, steal all that from them. They have to worry about that. So what did they take with them? Absolutely nothing as far as what they made gods out of. All the idols they had in life, there was not one that crossed over with them when they faced death. So then what do we take with us? Our character, our credibility, what we are as children of God. So to be credible, we do desire that, do we not? Then whenever people will let go of credibility, then they become deceptive, which is the exact opposite of being credible. Then the word becomes absolutely worth nothing. Absolutely as worthless as it can be. Can you imagine what an age we're living in? That people say, well, I'll be over to help you tomorrow. I'll come over and do this. And I'm talking about Christians. I'm talking about some message folks. I'll do this and that and the other. You are obligated by your word. When you give somebody your word, if you cannot keep your word, let them know. If not, you're making yourself a liar. Credibility doesn't even matter to Christians today, much less the world. And our credibility, I don't care how much you shout, how much you jump, how much you run. If you, you the prophet of God said, you're just as good as your word. Thank you, Jesus. Whoo, boy, it's hot in here. Is it just me or is the heat too hot? So when folks let go of credibility, what do they become? Deceptive which is part of the prophecy of the end time that people would deceive and be deceived. So what are they doing? They're trading off. How is this coming about? By will. So now they're retaining their will from God. 
They're pulling back the possession that they gave to him. I don't want you to have control of it anymore. I want to be the boss of what I am. You make me be credible. You make me be honest. You make me have integrity. You want me to be this and that and the other. I'm tired of being that. I don't want to be that no more. Well, you take it back from God, then what do you do? The devil says, ha, 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 ha. Boy, I've been waiting this for 15 years. Man, let me have that heart. Let me have that will. I'll tell you what I'll do with it. I'll fill it with lies. I'll fill it with confusion and depression and defeat. I'll, I'll give away all that morality. Give away all that love of God stuff. And give away all that faith and all that stuff that you said you believe. I'll give you something. I'll give you something. Oh, boy, it'll really help you. It'll help take you to hell. Thank you, Jesus. They let go of agape love and become ruled by the weaker human love. They let go of agape love and become ruled by the weaker human love. Now, the human love can be sensual. The human love is self-love. The love of God helps you to live your life for others. Self-love puts you on top of everything. And everybody else, wherever they fit according to your prioritization of them. Right? Your husband, your wife, your children, your aunts, your uncles, your grandma, your grandpa, whatever. But when you and I let go of agape love, then we lose the ability to keep in divine order the proper perspective of love. So then we switch role models, and instead of the Lord Jesus being on top, we're on top. Well, then as we do that, everything out from under us, you know, with many folks, they're not just on top. They hold the first 10 spots. They hold the first 10. Then the wife or the husband is number 11, the kids are number 13, 14, and then the uncles are number 27, 28, and then, you know, everybody else is on down. But that cannot happen as long as a person is surrendered to the love of God because the very nature of God. Oh, you say, but Brother Donnie, what if I ain't got the Holy Ghost? Friend, the power of justification is so strong just a man a woman being justified if a man or woman come in this building tonight they was absolutely start raving mad on drugs or so drunk they couldn't hardly even stand up the spirit of God under justification could change that person's life just to be justified and move on them and make them such a new person they would be a marvel to their beer buddies their wife wouldn't know them. That's the power of just justification. Sanctification will cleanse the desire of Then what about the fire of the Holy Ghost? Oh my. Notice, so they let go of agape love and become ruled by the weaker human love, self-love, or perverted love. Now, this is why that it can take a backslider quite some time to come back to God. It's totally different than a person that is a sinner that's never come to God. You see, the sinner has never had these things in them. They've never had a walk with God. They've never had a relationship with God. So they're able to come to God and lay all that. But a backslider who's been lost and then come to the Lord and had all of this relationship and all this with God and the church and brothers and sisters. And this is why many of them become so discouraged. And they just expect some supernatural fireball to fall out of heaven 
heaven and they're gonna feel like they did 20 years ago? Nope, I guarantee you one thing, you're gonna be a very disappointed person. You know why? You did not walk away overnight and nine times out of 10 in my many years of experience, it's gonna take a gradual coming back to God. Come on, saints. Oh, but Brother Donnie, I don't feel no pull. I want you to show me one scripture in the Bible ever dealing with the backslider that God said, wait till you feel anything. God said, return. God said, repent. God said, come back. Show me one place God ever said, if you feel it, that is a lie from the pits of hell. There is no such a thing. Well, I'm not where I need to be. I'm waiting on God to draw me and God's waiting on you to get up your stinking hide and put forth an effort to do it. God said, return unto me. God told the book of Revelation, repent and do your first works over. Nothing about feeling, nothing about drawing, nothing about wooing, nothing about cooing, getting up and doing it. Well, praise the Lord. Oh, but you see, friends, it's very, very hard. And that heart was virtue. And that heart was a touch of agape love. And that heart was submission. But in that heart now is rebellion, stubbornness, hard-headedness. Thank you, Jesus. Well, praise the Lord. I guess I could let you go now, but I don't think I will. <clears throat> now... Let's move from that spot. There's more, but we will stop there. <clears throat> let's, let's pick up on Martha. John chapter 11, verse 21. Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. Now, as I said last week, that Martha is a troubled believer. She has an unusual perspective of faith. She's one who is ruled a lot by circumstance, time, limitation of what she understands. She pulls things to her mind, a heavy thinker, as we'd say. And you notice that in discernment, that Brother Random would call people out over and over and over again and tell them, now you're a deep thinker, crossing bridges before you ever get to them, thinking about a lot of things, and he said most of them never happen. That's amazing because he would say that in Des Moines, Ohio, or Iowa, rather, 1954, and then he'd come down to Macon, Georgia in 1955, and he'd go over here in New York in 1956, and it went the same way. And most of those people probably never knew each other, but yet Satan attached to them according to their makeup. Now, I won't give many amends on this, but every one of us have weaknesses and flaws in our makeup. There are no... Wow, I got a bunch of amens. Thank you. There are no perfect makeups. Now, I know some of y'all think you got it. I hate to bust your balloon, but you didn't. <laughs> there you went, sir. None of us are perfect even after being born again. So Martha is an excellent example of the type of people, then we have many of them today, that they believe God and they love God, but never really able to enter into that spot completely she wasn't yet, to where she could totally trust him. So she's limited in what she's able to receive by her own perception of God. Now, not that God is limited at all, but God is only limited to us and how our faith will perceive him. This is why he must 
bring us to a present tense understanding. Now Martha's not there yet. She has a very incomplete, imperfect faith and imperfect understanding of who the Lord Jesus is. And somebody said, Now, they don't distrust the Lord, but neither do they completely, fully trust Him. It's like they, you know, they treat God the way they treat people. So they've been, they've been misused or, you know, they've been lied to or whatever, and they really don't trust everybody else, and they don't trust God. So they treat God as if He was another human being that's going to let them down. So they really don't trust Him, so they give God a little bit, but they keep the main part back to themselves. Because in reality, the way they view it, they can trust themselves more than they can trust God. You're trusting the biggest deceiver in your life. I don't care if it's from me beginning right here to the back door to the upstairs to on the internet. Every one of us that trust ourselves more than we trust God, we're deceived. You're trusting a liar. You're trusting a weakling. Praise be to God. Now, they don't totally distrust the Lord, but they can't totally trust Him either. So they kind of get caught in that catch-22, as we say. So their confidence will not allow them to be totally released to be able to believe God. Here, now we're talking about the surrendered heart and the surrendered will. And they believe, but they always have all kinds of questions. So they will say they believe this much, but they have these many questions about believing this much. So, you know, they hear this sermon, and then they hear this question answered, and that question answered, and they got, they got three questions answered in Saturday night service. But they got 3,000 833 questions from the Saturday night service itself which only leaves 3,830 to be answered tomorrow which more than likely I'll call 6,895 tomorrow for you so you're in a fix and the problem believe it or not ain't me I'm to blame for a lot of stuff but that ain't my fault you know whose it is? yours it's because of the Martha face that you had. Now remember, you are both. You are Mary and Martha. You are both. And you are the type to where that, that human part of yours, the Martha face can look at God. Oh, I love him. Oh, I don't want to be lost. I, I, I believe this word with all of my heart. But how can it happen? When will it happen? I just don't understand. That's the Martha. Now, yeah, but, 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 but if I, I, I miss my time. If he would have been here, if he, yeah, there you go, Martha, say it. If he would have been here, well, if I would have done it yesterday, well, maybe I can do it tomorrow. Maybe next year. That's what it is. Next year. Oh, I just really. I said, next year is when I'll do it. Yep, you're a Martha, all right. Praise the Lord. So Martha is how, when, why, how could it happen? I don't understand how it can happen. Notice this now in St. John eleven twenty two. 22. Let me say this first. That, that Martha, the Martha believer is the one who has a comprehension, a, a great comprehension of many things of what God says. But yet they struggle so hard that they simply miss the goodness of God by not applying simple faith to believe it. It's not the complexity by which we try to approach God and try to understand it and dissect it and divide it. You don't need to be a rocket scientist to serve God. As a matter of fact, you can be a dummy. This is a sermon tonight for how to be a dummy and serve God. Well, all of you smart, Alex. I mean, all you smart people, I guess it'll exclude you, but it includes all the rest of us. If they would only believe, if they'd only believe, but how? How? Simply. Simply. 
If anyone comes to God, he must first believe that he is. And that he is a reward of them. Friend, you cannot get any more simple than that. He is a reward of them that diligently seek him. Now, St. John eleven twenty two. But I know, now look at, look at Martha. I know that even now, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it thee. But in reality, we know that whatsoever did not include a resurrection right then. Now she said whatsoever, but she didn't mean whatsoever. If you've been saved very long at all, we've raised our hand, God, I give you all. God, I give you all. God just laughed and you said it. <laughs> he knew you wasn't giving all. God, I mean with all my heart. God said, yeah, right. Sure you did. Well, whenever, you know, this one thing I love about the Lord and his mercy that God, God doesn't, he doesn't just cater to the Davids and he, he doesn't just cater to the heroes of the Bible, but he caters and he loves people like this that are really weaklings. Amen. God loves the Saul's. God loves the Samson's. The weak ones that'll never make, look for we might as well face facts. There'll definitely be more Saul's in heaven than there will be Davids. There'll definitely be more Samson types in heaven than there would be David's. And just because you're not a David don't mean you're in. You know what? Whenever the prophet saw Samuel, whenever Samuel saw him rather than he come up and he said, tomorrow night by this time you and your sons will be with me. And here was Samuel, one caliber of an individual, and Saul was a total different caliber. But God so loved him that he said, you're going to be with me where I am. Oh, praise be to God. I know that even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it thee. Jesus saith unto her, now these are the first words that Jesus has spoken. Thy brother shall rise again. Martha saith unto him, I know. If I can wait to Louisiana use camp. Brother Donnie, I'm waiting for you to get Brother Tim Pruitt back. I'm waiting for you to get Brother Ron Spencer here. He ain't been here in several years. Oh, if I can hold on till he comes. I'm telling you what, I know God will do it for me. Well, I don't doubt that God wouldn't use him to help you, but why wait? When the mighty God is right here tonight. So whether I pray for you, whether Ron prays for you, whether Tim prays for you, whoever prays for you, the one to answer the prayer is here now. Now what's Martha with this type of understanding? Martha saith unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the... Now here's Martha, what's she doing? Confessing what she understands. Because she did not understand the rhema word that Jesus just spoke. So her faith is based upon her understanding. Oh, I know, boy, she's kind. I'll tell you one thing, glory to God, hallelujah. My brother was a good boy. He loved God. He was good to you, Jesus. I'll tell you one thing, he'll be there at the last day. To her, it's a future event, not a person. 
who in their right mind could understand that the resurrection was a person? Who could comprehend that the promised resurrection of Daniel 12, 2 and of Isaiah and all of that was going to be a human being? You see, the Lord Jesus is fixing to transcend tradition and change this theory of what they believe from it being a doctrine in the Bible to being a person standing before her. Lord children, if you don't get nothing out of this service tonight, get this. Our God is not just a God of history. He is not just a God of the future. But if you could open your understanding and realize he's right here tonight to do whatever you have need of. Oh, praise God. Oh, thank you, Lord. But what's she doing? Her confession now is based upon what she understands. She understands there's going to be a resurrection in the last day. But to bring it into the present tense to believe that Jesus is the resurrection, to believe her brother is going to get a private, personal resurrection now? No, no, no. Well, why? Jesus said your brother's going to rise again. It wasn't even like that created a slither of hope. She put it all totally in the future. Now you see, their mourning was in two phases. Day one, day two, day three was the weeping cycle, which was the slow meandering of tears out of their eyes. And they would cry and cry. But beginning on day four, because they lamented a loved one that had departed seven days. Beginning on day four, the rabbis taught that the spirit stayed around the body for four days. So beginning on day four, they recognized the person was not going to raise up again. So they thought. So beginning on day four, now they enter into the second stage. And this is the heavy mourning. So this is when they really mourn and lament and oh my, they hired professional mourners, you know, that would come in and oh, they, they would beat themselves. And you talking about Hollywood in a first century setting. They could really carry on. So isn't it amazing? Jesus waits past the first day, the second day, the third day. And he waits till it becomes pretty stinking bad. <laughs> Woo! Boy, I'll tell you one thing. I've had some situations where the Lord, it'd have been a whole lot easier if it'd come at day one. It'd have been a whole lot easier and wouldn't smell near as bad if it'd have come on day two. And he didn't even come on day three, but he waited till day four when it got pretty rank. Martha was looking at the future. Now she said, if you'd have been here, my brother would not have died. Now she's standing here again, looking at the future. Oh, praise God. I'll see him. I'll see him. (laughs) One day. One day I'll be filled with the Holy Ghost. One day I'll be a young woman here in the Happy Valley. I'll, I'll, what, what, you're what? Why wait? But Brother Donnie, I'm 12. I'm going to wait till I'm 18. Why? I've never regretted giving my heart to God at 12. Glory to God. 
Martha saith unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said unto her, I am. Now he said seven I am's. And this is the fifth one. Seven I am's in the New Testament Gospels. And this one is number five, which is grace. I want you to notice Jesus didn't say, I perform resurrections. He didn't say, I raise the dead. He didn't say, I call people back to life. But he said, I am. Glory be to God. I am the resurrection. I don't just talk bride talk. I don't just walk bride walk. I am bride. Come on, saints. It's time that we're able to say who we am as well as he is. Glory be to God. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Now, Lord Jesus, how is that possible? Don't you understand? The life of faith withstands the shock of death. He that believeth in me. Don't you understand, friends? Your believing continues after your death. He that believeth in me, oh glory to God, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Why? Because your faith continues on beyond the grave. A real believer don't lose his faith at the grave. Death does not take his faith away from him. All death is to a believer is separation of soul and body. That's all. You're a believer here. You're a believer in death. You're a believer in the sixth dimension. You're a believer in the resurrection. You're a believer in the rapture. Now you imagine Martha now. Remember her makeup. Deep thinker. Trying to process all this. (laughs) He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. How can that be? Oh my goodness. I got to think this over. You're going to miss your miracle while you're thinking. (laughs) Martha, I don't perform resurrections. Martha, I don't just raise the dead. I am life. Moses couldn't say that. Joshua couldn't say that. Let me go ahead and bring it on down. William Branham can't say that. Donnie Reagan can't say that, and you can't say it. In his own humanity, deity represented in a human being. Can you imagine what a statement? I am the resurrection 
And in her mind, going back to Daniel 12 too, in her mind going you're to Isaiah, in her mind going to the scriptures, being a Pharisee, this is what they were. Being a Pharisee, they believed in the resurrection. The Sadducees did not. So they believed in a resurrection. And she's thinking, how could he be that? It was only a doctrine to her. I've said it before, I'll say it again. A doctrine didn't die for you. A doctrine didn't come back on the day of Pentecost. I ain't looking for a doctrine, the rapture. I'm looking for a person. Can I have a few more minutes? Oh my goodness. You imagine, I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. His soul is still in blessed communion with God. Imagine I'm thinking, what are you saying? What are you saying? You're saying my brother's going to live again, and then you say you're the... Oh, boy. How can anybody understand this? You came without a new birth. Glory be to God. You are the resurrection. Whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die believest thou this oh now he's not asking her about Daniel's prophecy now he's not asking her about Zechariah now he's not asking her about David now he's not asking her about Job though the skin worms devour my body yet in my flesh I shall see God do you believe this that I am the resurrection she believed the quotes of the Old Testament. Come on, children, can't you see how awesome the message folks miss it? They believe Brother Branham was a prophet sent from God, but they believe God quit talking. That's why they think we ought to shut up preachers and play tapes. Why? They don't believe this. Amen. Come on, children. Believest thou this? The Lord Jesus was specific. He did so. Now say, Martha, do you believe in generality? Do you believe generally that there's a resurrection? Do you believe, do you believe this? The I am is here. I love this. I found this this week in studying this. A historian, a theologian, actually, in the 1500s. His name was Rupertus. He said, the mysteries of the Christian truths are much better understood by believing than believed by understanding. The mysteries of the Christian truths are much better understood by believing than believed by understanding. Truth relies on God's promise. Oh, yes, true faith relies on God's promise. She says unto him, Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God. Now, this is a great, great statement of faith, but it's the wrong time. She doesn't speak back, Raymond. She did not reply. But what is she answering? What she understands. Now this is a great understanding, is it not? 
she believes he's the Messiah. He's the son of God. He's the one to come to the world. But that wasn't what he asked her. What she's speaking, what she understands. All she had to done was say, yes, I, I believe it. You, you said it. I believe it. Do you understand it, Martha? No, I don't understand it. But you said it. That settles it. Whether I understand it has nothing to do with it. You'll make it real to me. I believe it. Oh, praise God. So she could affirm no more than what she understood. Amen. God sent a prophet. Amen. Malachi 4. Amen. There's a rapture. Amen. There's a devil. Amen. The bride's becoming the word. Jesus was the Messiah and the bride's the little Messiahettes. That's what them preachers are good for to go in there and get them quotes and just confuse people. Do you believe this? I believe there's still a Messiah on the earth. I'm looking at part of her tonight. But you see, her faith goes no farther than what she can understand. So as she calculates it and figures it all out, and okay, yeah, yeah, okay, right, and then that, yeah. Got it, got it, got it. And, but, but Jesus, I mean, you know, Jesus, he has this way. He just blows your math plumb off the page. Your algebra and your smarts and your intellect, and he just blows it plumb off the page and said, do you believe this? And all you've got is a bunch of letters and alphabet land there. He said, how can I believe that? Simply because I said it's true. But see, we want to believe it when we take the A's and the B's and the C's and the D's and the Y's and the T's and the O's and all that, put it all together, and then we make this great big conclusion. Well, hallelujah, I'll tell you one thing. Now, I can believe that. He'll always ask you something beyond what you understand. Let me have a few more minutes. So her faith goes no farther than what she can understand. So the, the trait of the Lord Jesus trying to bring her faith, her imperfect faith, into a present tense. She's struggling. <laughs> She's struggling. So what happens to Martha? Martha takes off and leaves the Lord Jesus standing right there. She doesn't even ask him to go with her. She leaves him standing right there and goes and tells Mary, that Jesus has come. She doesn't say, Lazarus is fixing to get up. She speaks of what she knows and what she understands. Mary, come on. Jesus is wanting to see you. Can you imagine? The resurrection is standing right there. And she leaves him standing there. Anytime you do. You're failing. Anytime I do, I'm failing. So Jesus stands right there. And here comes Mary. Verse 32. Then when Mary was come where Jesus was, and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying unto him, Lord. Yeah, she's been with Martha, all right. They've been fellowshipping. Your conversation is going to be affected by those you hang around most and those who have the most effect on you. If I could live with you all 24-7, y'all say, dear God, don't say dear God. It'd be dear God on my part having to live with you. 
If I could live with you all, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll take a month at a time, go to each home and family. I guarantee I could transform this church. Right. Being in your home, as much as I read and pray and study, I guarantee you, you'd sense such a difference. But by the time it got back your turn again, as big as our church is, you'd be right back where you was. So God don't want me to be your joy. God don't want me to be your revival. He wants you to be able to have a revival between you and him. You don't need the pastor to live with you when you can have Jesus. Why settle for Donnie Reagan to live with you when you can have Jesus Christ, the resurrection and the life? If thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews also weeping, which came with her, he groaned in spirit and was troubled. Let me close with this. Look at the word groaned. Straightly charge, murmur against, sternly to charge, threaten to enjoin. Do you understand what he's doing? By now, death and demons were getting nervous. Harry, he enters into more than a human groan. He's groaning against death. Never a man groaned like this man. Let's stand. Lord, children, you imagine as he stood there in his mind, he goes back to the Garden of Eden. He goes and he sees Abel laying in the field. He sees death as it's attacked his children. And he groans. He entreats it to enjoin in a battle. Come on, death. Think about it. Think about it. He groaned. They heard maybe just a human sigh. But death something else. Praise be to God. Look now, he's able to span both dimensions, so he groans in that he's fixing to conquer death once again. But John also says, which came with her, he groaned in spirit and was troubled. We'll pick it up here in the morning. He was troubled, Tereso which means to agitate, to cause one inward commotion, take away his calmness of mind, to stir up. So Jesus has lost calmness of mind. Jesus has got all stirred up. 
<laughs> Look out, devil. Praise be to God. In other words, he threw himself into some form or gesture, is the words. He threw himself into some form or gesture of sympathy and sorrow. They would wave their hands and express deep emotions by movement. So here Jesus began to express some sort of something on the outside and death for his that was close. Not close enough yet, death. And said, Where have you laid him? They said unto him, Lord, come and see. To me, one of the most profound and most powerful scriptures in the Bible. Jesus wept. He's not howling now. He's not beating his chest. But the word here is slow trickle of tears. So he just bows his head maybe like this and just. Here comes tears from God's eyes. Death said, that scared me for a minute. I've done had a few run-ins with him before. I thought, I think we're good. He's crying. Praise me. So Jesus just begins to weep. And he took his robe. I'm sorry for your loss, Mary. I'm sorry for your loss, Martha. But Lazarus, really, I'm crying for you because I'm sorry I'm going to have to bring you back into this hell hole. Forget it, you ain't pulling me in tomorrow's sermon. <laughs> sing. Sing, brother, sing. <laughs> Praise me to God. Hallelujah. Look, friends, a person as devout as Martha, as devout as Mary, yet they had a part of their heart that was not surrendered. Believing God as much as they could. But to humanity, here is the resurrection himself. I wonder how many times the Lord Jesus has walked in our midst. The Lord Jesus customs fit a sermon for you. Read your life like a book. Don't he do it to us? My goodness, he does not. I mean, like a book. He said, Lord, have mercy. How did Brother Donnie know that? You know, Brother Donnie, don't know those things. The Lord Jesus does. 
and he'll do it over and over again. And somehow or how and why and how come and I don't understand. And we get a little teeny bit of what he wanted us to have because we're trying to comprehend it and figure it all out. If we just let go and let God just simply believe. God, I don't understand why you love me, but apparently you do. So I ain't going to try to wash it. I waste my time trying to figure out why. Why not take that time just enjoying the goodness of your love and mercy? Praise God. Let's bow our heads together if you would. Oh, precious friends. As we stand here tonight, whether you've been serving the Lord for six months or 50 years, your life, oh, there's complex things about you for sure. Great deep things you'll hear about your life. But really, the everyday walk with God It'll come down to some very simple basics. And this is one of them. Learning how to submit to God. Learning how to surrender. And then keeping what you've surrendered. And the care of Him who you've committed it to. Knowing that your enemy will be there daily to take it back away from you. Now Satan cannot take anything that you surrender to God. He can never take any of that from God. But he can talk you in to taking it back from God. Satan does not have the ability to steal it from God at all. But you give it to God, and God, God's not going to stand there, you know, and just be this mean, hateful, contrary type of a being. If you want to take it back, God will let you have it. So Satan talks us into taking it back. So we can be healed of a, of, of a certain disease, whatever it is. And then we lose our faith. That thing can come right back on us again. Amen? We can be delivered of something in our life. And it will stay delivered as long as our faith will hold over that. But if we ever lose our faith with that, that thing will come right back in and we'll be worse than we was before. Why? We took that commitment out of God's care. And started worrying about it, fretting over it. Oh, it's going to come back on me. Oh, God, it's going to come back on me. Don't do it, friends. You'll take it right out of the care of God and try to battle it yourself. How many like to be remembered tonight? Oh, I would. Pray for me. Would you just take your hand and lay over on the person standing by you? Heavenly Father, as we come before you tonight, I realize, Lord Jesus, these things aren't great, deep, profound things that we just set new and all about. But Lord, it's where we live every day of our lives. It's where the rubber meets the road, as we say. Lord God, I pray you would help us. Lord, as I stand here tonight and look over this congregation, Lord Jesus, and seeing what you've done in many of our lives, Father, knowing, Lord, that you're the one who set us free from the powers of sin and Satan. You're the one who's helped us to commit our lives to you. And you'll keep that as long as we'll let you have it. But I also know, Lord, that if we want to take it away at any given time, you will let us have it back. You've, you're such a loving, wonderful Father that you've made every provision we'd have need of, but yet you don't want us to serve you out of fear. You don't want us to serve you out of a fear of going to hell, but you want us to do it because we love you more than anything else in the world. And you'll keep that which we've committed to you against that day as long as we'll leave it in your keeping power. Lord, I pray that you'd help us. Maybe some tonight they look and see that, that they become so fearful 
Lord, if they'd only be able to look back somewhere, they let go of a little bit of faith. And faith, when faith is released, fear comes in to take its place. Maybe it's fear of a cancer returning, fear of a disease. Their father had heart trouble. Their uncle had heart trouble. And they've got this fear that they're going to die with the same thing. Lord God, help us, I pray. Lord, help them to be able to look beyond, Lord, even what they understand. To be able to look to what your word says. There stood the very person of the resurrection. And Martha withstands it right up to the very last command before you call his name. She is so defiant up to the very last moment. When you tell them to roll the stone away, even then she tries to stop you. But it shows how persistent you are toward us, Lord. She didn't understand it. She was worried about the stink and the smell. She didn't realize the stink's conquer was there. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Oh, blessed be the Lord God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Help us tonight, Father, to look beyond the mess we're in. Our family may be a mess. Our job may be a mess. Our life, there may be a stink of here and there and there. But help us to realize you've got the power to take such and transform it into a fragrant resurrection. I've often wondered, I've often wondered what it must have been like. In one moment, it was the most horrific smell that a human could imagine. Rotten, stinking flesh. The maggots crawling in and out of his nose. His nose already fallen in. His body was stinking and rotten with corruption. And the next moment, it was the smell of the lily of the valley. Praise be to God. You never brought Lazarus a bouquet for his funeral wreaths, but you walked in there as the resurrection and got him up. Praise God. Oh, Jesus, would you come by our way tonight, Lord? We want to give up our bitterness. We want to give up our resentment. We want to give up, oh God, our mistrust. We want to give up all these things, Lord, that we've kept that's hindered us, Lord God. Oh, I wish I could pray for them tonight and they, each one would be able to drop them all at one time. But Lord, I, I know in reality, more than likely, it won't happen that way. But help us, Father, not to become discouraged if they drop one at a time. Maybe one week and then the next week and then the next week. Help us to understand, Lord, how you deal with us. Little by little, we come into this land. Oh, we love you tonight, Lord God. We worship you, Lord Jesus. Take my heart, Lord. Take my will. Lord Jesus, I don't want to just give you the gift that you give me, Lord. Lord, I don't want to just give you my memory. I don't want to just give you my hands and my, my eyes and my mind where I can sit and study for hours on end. I want to give you that, Lord. You know I do. Lord, I don't want to just give you my mouth where I talk to you. I don't want to just give you my ears where I listen to tapes of the prophet hours and hours and hours on end, Lord. I want to give you everything. Look tonight, God, look at any part of me that displeases you. Help me, Lord Jesus. Help me, Lord Jesus. Search my heart, Father. Oh, praise be to God. How many is with me tonight? You feel that way in your heart before God. 
Oh, Lord Jesus. We're Mary, we're Martha, we're Peter, we're Saul, we're John, we're, we're all of them, Lord. We can see bits and pieces of all these characters in ourselves. Thank you, Lord, for allowing their mistakes and their shortcomings to be written, Father. We would be so discouraged without these things being in the Bible. Thank you for them, Lord. We so appreciate it. It helps us, dear God, to see people like Peter that fall and make mistakes. It gives us courage. It gives us hope, Lord. We love you tonight, Father. We worship you. Thank you, Lord. Can we just worship him a little bit together now? How many wants to praise him a little bit? Amen. The scripture according to you a while ago in Romans 12, 1. I beseech you therefore, brother, brother, mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holding accept them to the Lord. When you take one of those Greek words and you look at it, it's actually worship. Paul is actually leading the saints of God to the antitype from the Old Testament of them taking a sacrifice. Then it was a dead animal laying it upon the altar. But he said, don't bring a dead body but bring your body a living sacrifice, which is holy and acceptable unto the Lord, which is your worship or your reasonable service. So we come, we bring our bodies. He don't want your soul, just your soul. He don't want just your spirit. He wants your body. He wants your hands, your mind, your eyes, your sinking. He wants all that. All them hows and wherefores and whys and how comes. Give all that to God. Give all them questions. Give all that that you don't understand. Give it to God. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. You'll never figure it out, friend. Brother Don, do you understand what you preach? Goodness, no. You think this stuff comes from me? You think I'm the one that come up with them words I read to you a while ago? I ain't, I ain't smart enough to come up with all that stuff. Do you think I'm the one who puts all these sermons together? Do you think I'm some smart theologian, some great person that can do it? Lord, I'm mercy, children. You don't know me very well. I'm a dumb Kentucky hillbilly. Preaching to a bunch of Virginia hillbillies and North Carolina hillbillies and a bunch of Ohio flatlanders and whatever more you are. If it wasn't for the grace of God, we'd be out here in the world tonight like all the rest of the world. But what makes us different? Grace. Grace. Mercy. There's nothing good about us. Come on, say amen. There's only one great one that comes here to Happy Valley and that ain't none of us. That's the Lord Jesus. Amen. Praise God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. You think it's me that healed Brother Keith? You think it's me when Brother Melvin Lynch walked up here the other day? Sunday, you seen it right before your eyes. You didn't know it. He was standing right here, a stiffness in his back. Couldn't hardly move. Suffering the power of God. He's standing right back here when it moved on him. And the spirit of God moved right in the service. He felt it leave his body and go right out. What, me? I can't heal. I can't deliver. I walk into the intensive care and see Sister Becky sitting there after having her surgery. She was so upset and just beside herself and just so, you know, so tore to pieces. I walked in just a few minutes after nine. Brother Melvin and myself knelt down, prayed for her. A couple hours, he texted and said, Brother Donnie, you can't believe what God has done. They're taking the tubes out. They're going to move her into a regular room. Me and Carol yesterday, you think I could do that? I'd walk in every room in the hospital. I can't heal. I can't save. I can't deliver. But my daddy can. Hallelujah. My father is the resurrection and the life. If he can.
and get us to believe beyond our understanding. Let's not limit him to time and place and if you was here and tomorrow and next year, but say, Lord Jesus, I've got needs. Please help me, Lord. Amen. Let's worship him a little bit before we go, can we? Oh, ain't it been good to be in church on Saturday night? Hey, you got something? Amen. Hallelujah. my heart, Yes, Lord. Open us, God. Oh, my Lord God, I want to see you, Lord. Help me, Jesus. I want to see you. Oh, yes, Lord. Let's worship in our church. Bonnie Potter walked right up here the other day fighting depression, going through such a terrible time in her life. Brother Terry, seen, I paused. I think Brother West is standing there with him. I don't know how to explain this to you, but I'm just going to say it. It was like somebody else took my eyes and started looking at my eyes and I looked at her and I saw more than her. And I spoke to that devil and I felt it leave her. She sat right in the office Wednesday night, happy and bubbling and shouting and praising God. <laughs> Why? She recognized Jesus. She didn't recognize me. I can't do it. Amen. Oh, Brother Donnie says, no, don't get your eyes on Brother Donnie. Keep your eyes on Jesus Christ. Don't get your eyes on yourself. Get your eyes off of you. Get your eyes off of me. Get your eyes off your weakness. Let's get our eyes on him. I don't care if you're depressed. I don't care if you're so low. I don't care where you are. The resurrection and the life is right here in this building tonight. He's here to help. He's here to deliver. He's here to set free. He's here to save. He's here to fill with the Holy Ghost if we can just see him. Let's sing it together, shall we? Praise God. Do you see him, children? Do you see him? Do you know that he's here? Oh, Brother Don, I'm trying to figure it out. Forget figuring it out. Believe it. Believe him. I said believe him. Can you understand it? How in the world can I understand that a man can lay his hand on another human being and curse a cancer in their body and that cancer leave? Tell me how I could lay this hand on a cross-eyed boy and pray for him and his eyes straighten out. That power's not in a human being. 
walk in the intensive care unit years ago. Brother Calvin in the middle of a heart attack lay these fleshly hands on him and watch God stop the heart attack. How can human beings do such stuff? We can't. But if we can submit these hands, if we can submit these lips and submit these eyes and submit these ears, Oh, blessed be the Lord God. He will live again in His people. He will manifest Himself before we leave this world. A book of Acts, church. The book of Acts, church. The prophet said, we long to see them apostolic times moving among us. He said, we see them, but we want to see more of them. I long to see more of them. For our glory, I don't want no glory, but I do want you healed. I don't want no glory, but I do want you delivered. And I do want him glorified. Praise be to God. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Blessed be the Lord God Almighty. Blessed Lord Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, will somebody help me worship him? Hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh God, hallelujah, hallelujah, Lord Jesus. We praise you tonight. You're the mighty one, Lord. There's nothing good in us at all. Hallelujah. We praise you, sweet Jesus. We praise you, sweet Jesus. Praise be to God. Hallelujah. Let's just worship him now, saints. Let's praise him. Open the eyes of my heart. Blessed Lord God. I want to see. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I want to see. Oh Lord God. Hallelujah, Father. Tonight, open the eyes of my heart.
Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you, Lord God. We bless your name, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We worship you, Lord. Lord, I believe. Oh, Lord, I believe. All things are possible. Lord, I believe.
Hallelujah. I believe, oh Lord, I Father, we bow our heads to the dust of the earth from whence our bodies were taken. We know if you should tarry eventually, our bodies will go back. But as we read the scripture tonight, if a man believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live again. So we know a true life of faith conquers death. We're actually believing on the other side. After death has struck our mortality, all death does is a doorway which births us finally into an immortal robe. Praise God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We're awed by your presence tonight, Lord God. Thank you, blessed one. Oh, holy, righteous Divine One, You who has gone away to prepare a place when divine love, a divine architect, has gone in divine mercy to prepare a divine place for a divinely bought attribute of God. Praise God. Here we are called in this mortality and this link of time one day we will connect again when the cycle is completed and we've made the loop we've gained our hair color our eye color our stature and so on we'll be birthed back into that body which was reflected in the very creation of god thank you lord jesus go with us now lord bring us back in the morning if it be pleasing to you thank you lord we're just in awe of your presence, Lord. I can't imagine what it'll be. As I heard the prophet say it yesterday, he said, if we think it's so good now when we drive hundreds of miles just to sit in his presence, he said, what will it be when we're there and I live next door neighbor to you? Praise God. What will it be, Lord God? When the water comes out from under the throne of God and trickles down over our yards and the blessed one is in our midst and we fall down before him and worship him. Glory be to God. Oh Jesus, may there not be a one here in this building to not be absent. But that day I pray, Lord. Go with us now, Father. Once again, these words seem feeble, but I just have to say it again. Thank you. Thank you so much thank you for your word thank you for your presence thank you for your people we love you with all of our hearts Lord praise be to God praise be to God how many can say it's been good to be in the house of the Lord 
God bless you, saints. I'll see you in the morning, all right. You are awesome in this place, mighty God. You are awesome in this place, Abba Father. Oh